This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Busy show tonight, so let's get to it. On our panel, uh, the North Korean nuclear threat is uh, front and center. Joseph Farah, publisher, editor of WND.com, and Joel Skousen, publisher, editor of World Affairs Brief, are standing by to discuss how best to deal with the rogue Stalinist state that is threatening its neighbors, Guam, the United States, with nuclear annihilation. Did Trump, President Trump, go too far in intimating that he turned... Well, he didn't actually, actually intimate, did he? I mean, he just came plain out and said it. Uh, if you mess with the United States, we will turn your hermit little prison camp of a country into a glass bowl. Uh, we'll uh, continue discussing uh, North Korea a little bit later. We'll learn about Korea's version of Edgar Cayce, Gang Il's son, uh, who made some startling predictions about Korea and uh, the world that seem to be playing out almost precisely according to Gang Il's son's visions. George Freund from Conspiracy Cafe will be here to discuss. Then, for the first time in American history, a company out of Wisconsin is voluntarily letting their employees take a microchip implant, it's about the size of a grain of rice, uh, in their hands, in the skin, between their thumb and forefinger. Sound familiar? Uh, And it'll act as a credit card. Uh, Bible scholar, documentary filmmaker Ali Siadatan will be here to discuss whether the microchip implant is, in fact, a fulfillment of biblical prophecy, the mark of the beast mentioned in Revelation chapter 13, verse 16 and 17. All that coming up very soon, plus our weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box, where you, dear remote viewer, attempts uh, or attempt to transcend time and space and identify what lies hidden inside the, the cigar box, which is uh, resting on the desk here at uh, Zoomerplex uh, to my left. And uh, don't forget, send your answers to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. Use the hashtag TCS Remote. And uh, we'll also have mailbag coming up. Also in the first hour, for the, we'll uh, discuss 
Oh, well, no, I think that pretty well covers the first hour. Isn't that enough? My word. Second hour, we've got open lines, of course. Then Rabbi Harry Moskoff will join us, the real-life Indiana Jones in search of treasures from King Solomon's Temple, including the Ark of the Covenant. Can't wait for that conversation. Uh, before we lift off, let me acknowledge the trio here who join me in studio each week without whom this show would not be possible. The boys in the band, I like to call them, on the Flying V Gibson guitar, Ian Robertson. And uh, Ian, I'm hearing from a lot of people who, who say that uh, you should be awarded some Conspiracy Show merch for last week's What's in the Box segment. It was a ball-peen hammer, uh, if you missed it, and uh, Ian said a stick. I, it, I, I said a piece of wood. That was a great. piece of wood? Okay, all right. <laughs> well, we'll. you know what? I'm, I'm still considering it. Now, if it had been a miniaturized you know, version of Noah's Ark in the box or a, I don't know, a um, a rolling pin, a wooden rolling pin, would you still be grousing and demanding a mug? Rolling pin, maybe. All right. Uh, on the Rick and bass guitar and occasionally the theremin story producer Albert Venzel is here. And finally on the Hammond B3, my feature producer Ryan White. Gentlemen, thank you. All right, time is tight. Here are your coordinates, remote viewers. The object is hidden in a cigar box resting on the studio desk to my left. Here at Zoomerplex, 70 Jefferson Avenue, in the Liberty Village neighborhood, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Now, allow the shape, form, texture, and color of the object to form in your mind. And again, send your answers to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. You must use the hashtag TCSRemote. The most skilled remote viewer will be rewarded with some fabulous Conspiracy Show merch. And if you're a fan of the show, why not show it off? Visit the online store at theconspiracyshow.com, buy a mug, t-shirt, hoodie, phone case, and help support our work here at The Conspiracy Show at the same time. Good luck, remote viewers. The big reveal coming up at the bottom of the hour. All right, North Korea's evil and unstable despot Kim Jong-un recently warned he was carefully examining plans to make an enveloping fire around the U.S. island of Guam. This came hours after President Trump had told the Stalinist hermit state it faces fire and fury like the world has never seen over its nuclear program. Did President Trump, his threat, go too far, or not far enough, perhaps? How best to handle the reality of a nuclear North Korea? Here to discuss is Joseph Farah, who fought the establishment media from the inside out, first by excelling from within, by climbing the ranks of his profession to run major market Metro Dailies, and secondly, by launching the first independent online news agency, World Net Daily, some 20 years ago. Today, WND.com is a top 200 website in the United States. Joe Safara, welcome. How are you, my friend? Great to be with you, Richard. Thank you. Joel Skousen is the publisher of the World Affairs Brief, a weekly news analysis service. He's a political scientist by training, specializing in helping readers understand the hidden agenda of those that secretly control both political parties and the U.S. government. Joel Skousen, welcome to you, sir. Thank you, Richard. It's always good to be with you. I want to throw this one out to you first, Joseph. Uh, for years, really, since President Clinton back in 1994, and through the Bush years, and even uh, as recently as 2016, before President Obama left office, it seems to me that the U.S. policy on a nuclear North Korea was to pretend it didn't exist and then to re reward North Korea for its lying and obfuscation with door prizes and, and, and uh, goodies. Uh, aid of all sorts. Uh, and now the, uh, the left and the Democrats seem to be blaming Trump for the fact that we now are living with the reality of a nuclear North Korea. 
how is how how is trump being blamed for this mess well you're absolutely right uh what, what we did we had a series of presidents that trained him uh over the last couple of decades uh to threaten to develop nuclear weapons because uh he he learned that uh it was a good way to make a living for himself and and uh his pathetic country uh if you don't nuke us uh, you know, we'll remove sanctions, we'll give you respect, we'll negotiate with you, and even pay you to say that you will not nuke uh, the U.S. And to make matters worse, over the last eight years, Kim saw the, the uh, former President Obama pay a huge bribe to Iran, not to stop nuclear development at all, but to slow it down, kick the can down the road, maybe 10 years, despite the fact that Iran continues to develop nuclear weapons today. And, and there's another facet here that I haven't heard anyone else, you know, posit this theory. But isn't it likely, Richard, that Kim assumed, like so many other people around the world did, that Hillary Clinton was going to be elected president in 2016? And then, I can only imagine, he was planning to be, you know, the next, he was going to planning to get his next big payday for not nuking the U.S. because uh, she would have negotiated just like her husband did uh, to do so. He didn't see Trump coming. No. Uh, but based on the past behavior of U.S. presidents, he's he's dealt with. He assumed there probably wouldn't be much difference anyway. Well, he assumed wrong. Jo- Joel yeah. Skousen, uh, the the North Koreans now they have miniaturized the uh, the, the nukes. That's a, a further step. They have te- successfully tested their intercontinental ballistic missiles. Now they are ramping up. There are secondary strike capabilities on, on submarines, and, and um, so there, we have that to deal with. Is it now too late for sanctions, even tough, tough sanctions? Absolutely too late, because China has been the one who has been bypassing sanctions, and they will still do so. For example, there was a Reuters article today that pointed out that China is mostly hiring North Korean factories to produce Chinese textiles, shoes, and other things for export to the United States, and they're labeled made in China. So there's no way that China is going to really back up. North Korea is the puppet state of China, and China really wants to have the appearance of a crazy man in charge of this rogue state. But it would appear, Joel, that that China has also lost control of Kim Jong-un, and now they've basically said to the United States, listen, if... This crazy person goes off. We're stepping back. You deal with them. Isn't that a victory for the U.S. and, and Trump's rhetoric? Well, actually, uh, China has said only if uh, Kim Jong-un attacks the United States will we stay neutral. If you attack North Korea, China says it will come in and back North Korea militarily. All right. What do we mean? But but the term, the idea of first strike and so forth. Uh, uh, I mean that that has. There's a lot of latitude in there, isn't there, Joseph? For example, if they were to fire off another inter uh, another ICBM in the direction of Guam, even as a test, couldn't that be interpreted as a you know as a as a as a direct threat to the United States? A first strike, if you will. Well, well, sure. He's he's already made the threat. You know, if he follows up, it's. It's an action, even if he misses, you know. <laughs> I mean, but, uh, you know, look, Trump is in a very precarious position, though. I mean, you know, w- w- what do you do? J- 
Joel's exactly right in terms of what the scenario is. You know, China is not uh, on our side here. <laughs> China is saying we'll remain neutral uh, if, you know, as long as you don't uh, nuke uh, the United States or if, if, you, if you do attack the United States, we'll be neutral. Okay, they're not going to do anything about it. They're going to be neutral either either way. The only way they're not going to be neutral is if we take an action, and it's not a nuclear action, uh, as I understand it. It's any kind of action. So, if we have some kind of a plan to take, you know, Kim out, or to disrupt their nuclear facilities, you know, with some kind of uh, big bombing attack, then uh, then China is going to back. Uh, North Korea, as I understand it. Joel, what about giving China a dose of their own medicine? Let's put nukes, or the United States proposed to put nukes in South Korea and perhaps uh, in Japan. We, we used to have tactical nukes in South Korea. They were pulled out under the Obama administration, and I believe the Trump administration is going to put tactical nukes back in. Now, that doesn't mean that they'll use tactical nukes or even nuclear missiles to... Um, to do a preemptive strike, but clearly North Korea is the only nation on Earth that has directly threatened existentially the United States. So the United States does have every justification to do a preemptive strike on North Korea. Now, I do happen to believe that if you throw four missiles at Guam saying that we're going to miss Guam by 20 miles, there's no U.S. military base in the world that can count on North Korea with its reputation of inaccuracy to miss the island. So if they throw those missiles, and I think that's only about a 50% chance that it'll go through with that threat, I think, first of all, the United States will shoot those missiles down using the THAAD system that is in Guam or the Aegis system on various naval vessels at uh, naval base uh, Guam. But I think Trump will have every rightful reason to retaliate, only he's going to have to do it attacking both the missile sites, he doesn't have to attack the nuclear facilities right away because that's not an immediate threat, but he's got to attack the missile launch sites, he's got to attack about 11 to 15 air bases, and he's got to take out a good portion of the artillery sites that threaten Seoul. All right, we are out of time. Joseph Farah from WND.com, thank you as always, appreciate it. You bet. Joel Skousen, WorldAffairsBrief.com. Very quickly, Joel, how can people subscribe? They can uh, email me at editor at World Affairs Brief and request a free sample issue. The current issue is about North Korea, and I'll send that to them. It tells them how to, descri- how to subscribe. Thank you both. All right, the prophecies of Korea's Edgar Casey next. Wait till you hear this. The Conspiracy Show continues. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. From Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Oh, welcome back. Our remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box, is just ahead. Don't forget, send your answers to 
me at my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett. Use the hashtag TCS Remote, TCS Remote, plus our mailbag and uh, much more. Uh, a company in Wisconsin is asking its 50 employees to voluntarily take a microchip implant. Uh, is this the mark of the beast foretold in Revelation chapter 13? We'll talk to Ali Siadatan about that as well. Uh, right now, uh, let's uh, talk about Korea once again. Gang Il Sun uh, was born back in 1875 in what, or 1871 in what is now North Korea. He founded a new religious movement, which after his death in 1909, branched off to over 100 new religions on the Korean peninsula. But he was also considered a prophet, the Korean Edgar Cayce, if you will. During his life, he warned the world would be uh, suffering great calamities. They include a pole shift, a world war originating on the Korean peninsula. He said it would last three days, and Seoul, or Seoul, would be consumed by fire. A great pestilence would follow, lasting 68 days. American forces would flee the peninsula, taking the disease throughout the globe. Kim Jong-un claims he has a hydrogen bomb. Is he bluffing? Will the prophecy unfold? Here to discuss is researcher, independent researcher, George Freund, host of the wildly popular podcast, Conspiracy Cafe. George, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? It's a very, very trying uh, point of history, I think. So tell me a little bit more about Gang Il-sun. Um I mean, I know he started this religious movement, but did he write these? How did you come to, to, to hear about his prophecies? Well, my uh, colleague in uh, communications was a teacher in Korea, and uh, he's also a professor, and he's very familiar with Korean culture, and Korea's been on the hot plate for many, many years with the development of these weapons and the lackadaisical response from American administrations going way back and, uh, you know, he would always advise me on the side about some of the philosophical things that were going on in Korea. And we always think about uh, our world as being, you know, Eurocentric or, uh, you know, things that just happen in North America. And we forget that other nations, other areas have their cultures, their ideas, and uh, great sayings that we're completely unaware of. And it appears uh, Gang Il Sun was a very intelligent man. Uh, you know, he also put out some very positive vibrations. He was into this enlightenment movement where, you know, you pretty much give up uh, any form of violence or anything like that, which is a good incentive uh, to the rest of the world to follow, especially as the pot keeps getting hotter and hotter here in the Korean peninsula. Right, but let's talk specifically now about his as prophecies. Did he write these down? Was he like, was he prolific like like Nostradamus, for example, or Edgar Cayce, or, or was this kind of a sidebar to his his life as a, as a religious philosopher. This was more the sidebar as he was going through various processes uh, to attain this enlightenment. He felt that he had greater vision and ideas about what was going to happen in the world. And uh, he communicated those to his fellows uh, that uh, followed in uh, his you know, cult, for lack of a better word. And, uh, you know, he saw things that to them would probably seem very, very bizarre that you could have, uh, you know, a city destroyed. Pusan was another city that uh, he said would disappear by fire as well. Uh, that was the great jumping off point to get uh, in the first Korean War where all the Americans and uh, United Nations forces had to accumulate before the Inchon landings. 
so that might be another very strategic point again in history that uh, forces could be driven south. Uh, he implies that they're escaping the peninsula, and uh, that is a major port area, so it wouldn't be inconceivable that that happens. I think what's what's particularly interesting about one of his prophecies, and that has to do with war originating on the Korean peninsula, uh, very specific. He says it would last three days. Now, the the the, the war that, that that took place on the Korean peninsula lasted three years, not three days. That was conventional uh, conventional weapons. Um, so to talk about a war lasting three days, remember. This was early 20th century, late 19th century. He's making these predictions. I mean, what kind of a war would last three days? One would have to assume something involving a nuclear arsenal. Oh, exactly. Once we let the cat out of the bag, if there was ever any type of conflict that involved a mega weapon like that, uh, the horror of a discharge of that sort of weapon, no matter how much rhetoric comes from whatever side, uh, would, I think, just overwhelm uh, anyone. The Chinese uh, premier has been making some you know, remarks that uh, are probably more serious than Trump, uh, that they will protect Korea if the United States attacks first, and uh, that the United States could be destroyed. But that's all this bravado um, stuff that uh, I don't think a lot of people have any concept. Like I know uh, Mr. Teller, when he developed the hydrogen bomb at one of the tests, he just said, all world leaders should have to be here to feel the heat, to know what this means. And uh, because they don't or, or don't really believe or understand what that means, they may be stupid enough to attempt or, or to, uh, to start something, but I think after one or two uh, examples, I don't think anyone would want to go any further. George Freund is here, host of the uh, podcast Conspiracy Cafe. And uh, you can find it, just um, uh, Google Conspiracy Cafe or conspiracy-cafe.com, conspiracy-cafe.com. We're talking about (coughs) Korea's Edgar Cayce, Gang Il Sun, although born in 1871, died in 1909, made some startling prophecies or predictions. One of them involves a, a war originating on the Korean peninsula that would last three days. Here's the other, it would, it cons, uh, it would consume Seoul, a Seoul would be consumed by fire. Uh, here's the other interesting uh, detail, American forces. Now think about this, the United States, I'm not sure exactly when he made this prophecy, uh, but uh, America was certainly you know, e- evolving as an industrial superpower in the late uh, 1800s, early 1900s but certainly wasn't geopolitically uh, considered, you know, um, an empire. Do you find that as startling as I do, that, that, he would in, that he would mention American forces on the Korean Peninsula at this early date? Well, they were one of the major powers uh, in the world. The, you know, the Russians and the Chinese are neighbors. The Japanese are uh, not that far away. Uh, Japan... Uh, basically forced Korea into being a vassal state in 1910 and uh, had been influencing uh, politics there. In the 1890s, there's the first uh, Sino-Japanese War, and that was based on the fact that uh, when there was a rebellion in Korea of this uh, you know, movement that uh, Gang Il-san was affiliated with, the Donghaks, 
they let a peasant revolt. The uh, leadership of uh, Korea called in the Chinese for military assistance, and the Japanese were very offended by that, and that precipitated the First Sino-Japanese War, and it didn't go too well uh, for the Chinese, and the Koreans pretty much took over and became the de facto government and military of Korea and kept it that way until... Uh, the conclusion of World War II when uh, they were forced to surrender. Right, but the idea of American boots on the ground in faraway Korea, predicting that in the late uh, 19th century, uh, seems a bit of a stretch. Well, when you have, uh, you know, the value of the prophet is the quality of the prophecy. So to see and know and understand uh, who's involved, what countries uh, are going to be involved, the five major powers... Another uh, modification from my colleague is uh, the fact that the Chinese chess game is called Badok. And, uh, you know, he sees the board as being like the Korean peninsula, where the middle of the board has a dividing line, and that's like the demilitarized zone. And uh, this game, like the grand chess board that we use in our analogies for many of the conflicts on the planet Earth, involve, again, the five great powers playing this game. I sent you an image of some people, like in a painting, that uh, are playing the game. If you have that available, you could show it to people. And uh, it uh, is also described almost like a sumo match, where there were three versions to this. The first version, of course, was the peasant rebellion. To get rid of a corrupt administration, that's kind of under control of the Western powers or the Western business interests. And that was like the preliminary sumu event. And the next level was the Korean War, where the uh, amateurs get down and fight. And the third version would be the professional match, where we have uh, what can be akin to World War III. And uh, that will be you know, a very, very devastating and powerful uh, event. How, how um, popular is Gang Il's son and his prophecies in on the Korean Peninsula today? For example, um, are, do South Koreans learn about Gang Il's son uh, in school? Is, is the dictator in North Korea uh, familiar with Gang Il's son? Does he, does he somehow believe that he is going to, you know, he's there to fulfill Gang Il's son's prophecy? That may very well be the case uh, with uh, Kim that he, he believes that's his divine mission. Uh, the, the family history is his father was born in a mountain, allegedly, or they could make some of this material up in World War II. Uh, it was called Heaven Lake. And uh, when he died, the mountain cracked. There was a large, audible crack that was heard all the way down the mountain. It is a caldera, this lake, and it's on, on top of an active volcano. Half of the uh, mountain goes into China, and there's extensive tunnels going back and forth. So it may be a major military nexus to go back and forth uh, for forces that China can get into North Korea covertly uh, through these tunnel systems, and would also make this mountain a target. And if it exploded or blew up, well, of course, with a volcano underneath, that could also uh, cause a lot of fire and difficulty, fear, fire and fury, if, uh, if that happened. I don't know if this religion is as popular as it was after Gang Il-sung died. It manifested up to about six million adherents. But, of course, like many things, when you lose a leader, it fractures, and his... Uh, group ultimately fractured into you know, the worst-case scenario of about maybe a hundred different factions. And they would fight or have disagreements about what's interpreted and how. 
But uh, there's still an active nucleus of uh, several versions of uh, of his religion, which involved all the Oriental religions and Christianity mixed together. He believed that uh, there would be a Messiah-like figure coming on the scene in the world as well, so that jives a little bit with uh, some Western ideas of what would happen if there was a major global conflict. Right. George Freund is with us, host of Conspiracy Cafe. We're talking about Koreans... Edgar Casey, Gang Il Sun, whose prophecy includes uh, a war originating on the Korean peninsula that would last three days. Seoul will be consumed by fire. A great pestilence will follow, lasting 68 days. And then American forces, he said, will flee the peninsula, taking the disease throughout the globe. How do you see this, this ending, George? Is this an intractable situation? Are we now having to come to grips with the reality? Do we have to live with the reality of a nuclear North Korea? It would be nice to, to be able to live with uh, North Korea as, as, as a you know community of nations. There's many diametrically opposed systems in the world post-World War II that had nuclear weapons, specifically the USSR and the United States. With a major difference, though. There was some stability and some rational people on the yeah. other side. Here we have someone... I don't think the idea of mutual assured destruction necessarily works. No, because he may go on the aggressive uh, war path, for lack of a better word, or push it to the limits, because... He feels that's his divine mission, and there's no negotiation with them to have peaceful coexistence uh, by mad or just by sane and rational procedures. And uh, that's what makes this a wild card, because the president is put in a position where he's damned if he does, and he's damned if he doesn't. Because if he does it now, and he attacks North Korea, and the Chinese decide to adhere to their treaty to defend them, then that opens up a very large broad war, which can make Gang Il-sung's prophecies come through very, very quickly and very, very powerfully. And if you do nothing, well, it's just like the volcano. It'll build and build and build and build until he feels maybe he's strong enough to do a first strike to cause serious casualties or damage to the Western world. Of course, the worst being South Korea and then maybe next Japan. And uh, will he take that initiative and go that far at some point in time? He is a young man. He, you know, if he lives like some dictators into a ripe old age, we could be looking at, uh, you know, two generations perhaps of uh, of him holding us ransom. How far will this technology that he's working on develop? And uh, if he's going to go on the offensive, well, it's probably better to get him while he's still building it up, as opposed to after it's completed. So no matter which decision we make, perhaps, Gang Il-sung's prophecies will come true. The only clue I see in his work is the fact he was committed to nonviolence. So even though he was arrested by the Japanese and put in prison for a short period of time before his death, he still didn't uh, force his people or condone violence against the Japanese or anyone else. He just tried to live in... Uh, a, a religious, pious life of peaceful coexistence. And maybe that's the clue that uh, we shouldn't attack first. George, how can people listen to your podcast, Conspiracy Cafe? Well, my website uh, hosts all that. Cons- you said it there, conspiracy-cafe.com. And, uh, you know, for wherever else it ends up or things end up, uh, you know, you just Google my name or that, and it comes up all over the place. I did review a very good movie that I would recommend for everyone with uh, Rock Hudson called Battle Hymn, and it's about Operation Kitty Car, 
where they took out hundreds of uh, Korean orphans out of a conflict zone and got them to safety. And it's uh, it's a real motivational film about even in the direst circumstances, sometimes good things can happen. It's a true story. It's based on a true story about a Colonel Hess in the United States Air Force. And uh, after watching that, it uh, really made me feel good about the fact that there, there is uh, humanity in the world. Indeed. Well, listen, George, thank you for bringing to our attention the prophecies of Gang Il's son. Most Thank of us, you. including myself, had never heard of him, but now we know. Thanks to you. George Freund, Conspiracy Cafe. All right. When we come back, our uh, big reveal. What's in the box? Our re- remote viewing experiment. Good luck, remote viewers, plus mailbag and uh, a few programming notes. Stay with us. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Coming up, Ali Siadatan, biblical scholar. Uh, we'll talk about this company in uh, Wisconsin that has asked its 50 employees to voluntarily take a microchip uh, in the hand, in that fleshy bit between the under the skin, between the thumb and the, uh, the forefinger. Uh, and this would act essentially as a method of payment. It sounds eerily familiar to a passage in the New Testament, Revelation chapter 16, uh, sorry, chapter 13, verse 16, uh, the mark of the beast. You won't be able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast. So, is this a fulfillment of biblical prophecy? We will discuss. Um, And maybe also uh, in this segment we'll throw it around the horn and see if you would take the chip. All right, first of all, it is time for our weekly remote viewing experiment results. What's in the box? And uh, let's go around the horn for that. Ian, what's in the box? Uh, I'm seeing something small and rectangular. Small and rectangular. Yeah. Can you be a little more specific? Do you see uh, a colorish uh, uh, blue a texture? Blue and soft. Blue Maybe like and a sponge? Interesting. Yeah. A triangular blue sponge. Not triangle. Uh, uh, rectangle. Yeah, a rectangular. All right. Okay. And uh, Albert Vinzel. Yeah, you're, you're creeping me out again with the microchip. I, I don't get frightened easily. It's like Dave Polity's like missing 411. Mm-hmm. And, yes. you know, be beheaded if you don't take the microchip. And you, so you I've thrown you off. You, you, you put that out as a caveat saying you're off out. your game. You're off your game. All right. When I'm creeped out, I can just give you AOL guesses. And I, I sort of guess like. What's a, AOL guesses again? Uh, analytic overlay. Anything named is a guess. You're oh. really just supposed to describe it. That's right. But but I, I would guess, you know, sort of a pine cone, a, you know, an oak leaf, an acorn, a walnut, uh, maybe an old shoe. Oh, I, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I've been described as an old shoe. Uh, and finally, over to you, Ryan White. What's in the box? Uh, I think you've got your solar eclipse glasses now for the next week's solar eclipse, and you've put a pair in the box there. Solar eclipse glasses. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You have to wear them, otherwise you're going to have eye damage. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, let's go to the Twitter feed. What did uh, our remote viewers out there have to say? Plenty of good sights tonight. Conan thinks it's a small pair of scissors. Open your eye. Uh, a dark object made of a solid material. Uh, Mike sees a peace sign. 
Uh, Daniel sees a video game controller. Drew sees a long and green object, maybe a pickle or cucumber. Russell, something with apples. John, a cookie or brownie. Clinton sees a t-shirt. YY sees something with many appendages or branches, like a set of keys or an octopus or a tree. Mm. Uh, James, a bit of clay. Brent, a clamshell. And Paul sees a tool, maybe a one-handed tool with a, a rubber grip. Interesting, interesting. Well, I have to say here, last week with uh, Ian um, seeing something wooden, a wooden stick, um, and it was a ball-peen hammer with a wooden handle. Not bad, not bad. I'm still on the fence as to whether it warrants a mug. However, I think, you know, I'm your secret Santa uh, this year, uh, Ian, in the annual conspiracy show Christmas party, so I'm guessing you'll probably find a mug under the tree. However... Our, one of our staff members, Ryan White, has come pretty close, I have to say. Not exactly solar eclipse glasses. They are swimming goggles. Oh. How about that? Swimming goggles. Ryan, this is your first time, I think, like coming pretty, pretty close. Sure, yeah. Well I, mean, done. I, don't, I don't think it's close enough, to be honest. Well, I got to tell you, goggles, swimming goggles... Eclipse glasses, they are, they are, uh, they're dark. Uh, they have dark lenses. I don't know. What do you think, Ian? No, you're just jaded and bitter now because you're not getting it. So you, if, <laughs> if I don't get one, mug, he's I get not. A mug. Well, that's what I, I think we should get mugs. Albert? I, I agree. Well, it's pretty close. It's glassy, and he's like glassy. It is. It's, they're goggles. <laughs> All right. Okay. Ryan, you're getting a mug, and um, Ian, you're getting a mug. And people out there are saying, wait a minute, they, they're disqualified. They're staff members. Well, I will be the – I am the decider. I am the decider, as George Bush used to say. So uh, they'll both get a mug. Thank you. They're going to get one anyway. Albert will get a mug. Well, all, all mugs for all my friends. All right. Uh, congratulations, uh, Ryan, and uh, to all of you for trying at home. I appreciate it. Again, visit the uh, online merch store, theconspiracyshow.com, and show your support for the, for the, uh, the program. Help us out. Show off that you're a fan, a mug, a T-shirt, hoodies, phone cases, you name it. All right. Now, uh, in lieu of our uh, mailbag uh, this week, Albert, I wanted to to mention on our Conspiracy Show app, you've posted an interesting poll question in anticipation of our next guest, Ali Siadatan, talking about the microchip implant. What is it? Uh, Will you volunteer to be microchipped? And... I think our audience are right on, you know, on the same side we are on. Ninety percent say no, ten percent say yes. They would be microchipped, but I, I'm I'm a big believer in the Bible. And when they're saying, you know, the mark of the beast, it's a cryptic verse, but you know, if you take the mark of the beast, that's it. It's over. You're you're going to hell. There's no <laughs> seal of God. You don't get saved. Right. So I, I'm not I'm not taking any chances. I'd rather be beheaded. So again, if people want to participate in the poll, they go. Hopefully, they've downloaded. The free app, The Conspiracy Show, and how do they get to the poll? Uh, you've got to, like, go for into it, but, you know... Uh, On the like, menu, there's... If you go into the, the app menu, there's a poll, daily... Right, a weekly host poll polls, question. and then you can answer, um, you know, yes or no. It's usually a yes or no question. All sometimes right. Not. Let me go around the horn again. Ian Robertson, would you take the mark of the beast? Or would you just... Even if you don't... If you're not sure it's a mic, would you take a microchip implant? Uh, probably not. I don't like the idea of like technology being part of me, forced upon you. Yeah, yeah. Because right. I, I don't know. I like the idea of a human body being a human body. What if they were to say this is the only way you can buy or sell? 
how much money would they give me? No, nothing. <laughs> but if you don't take the if you don't take the chip, you won't be able to buy anything. You won't be able to sell anything. Yeah, it's hard to say though because it's it depends like how much freedom they would take away from you with that. Because I mean, like we all have cell phones on us. Who knows how much freedom we're losing with that? Right. Okay. Fair enough. And uh, finally, Ryan, would you take the chip? No, uh, uh, certainly not. I'm actually surprised how similar this Bible verse is. Before the show, we were talking, and, and I didn't know that the mark of the beast was anything close to this. On your right hand or your forehead, mm-hmm. according to Revelation. Very, uh, I'm surprised reading the Bible verse, just how closely it describes this. Uh, but no, I mean, I still pay cash for a lot of things, and people look at me like, what's this paper you're giving me? Exactly, so, yes. Uh, nothing, I've seen cashiers not. just pass out in fear at the sign of a $20 bill. They just, what is that? Uh, well, Ryan, you, or um, Albert rather, pointed this out to me. There's a piece in the USA Today uh, that came out just a few days ago, and it's headlined, You Will Get Chipped Eventually. You'll get chipped, it's just a matter of time. In the aftermath of a Wisconsin firm embedding microchips in employees last week to ditch company badges and corporate log- logons, the internet has entered into a full-throated debate. Religious activists are so appalled they've been penning nasty one-star reviews of the company. It's called Three Square Market on Google, Glassdoor, and social media. On the flip side, seemingly everyone else wants to know, is this what life is going to be like soon at work? Will I be chipped? It will happen to everybody, says Noel Chesley, 49, associate professor of sociology at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. But not this year and not in 2018, maybe not my generation, but certainly that of my kids. Gene Munster, an investor and analyst at Loop Ventures, is an advocate for augmented reality, virtual reality, and other new technologies. He thinks embedded chips in human bodies is 50 years away. In 10 years, Facebook, Google, Apple, and Tesla will not have their employees chipped, he says. You'll see some extreme forward-looking tech people adopting it, but not large companies. All right, Ali Siadatan will pick up on this discussion when we come back. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Peering into the shadows, where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Coming up at the uh, top of the hour, or just after the top of the hour, open lines. And uh, Ian tells me a number of you have called in wanting to weigh in on the North Korea. Uh, so we can certainly address that. Some of you may want to address this ugly, tragic uh, rioting down in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, we can go there as well. If need be, Uh, as you know, uh, Open Lines is just about anything goes um, in keeping with the the format of this program. We talk about conspiracies. We talk about geopolitics. We talk about uh, the paranormal. So it's up to you to decide where you want to take the next half hour. And, of course, at the bottom of the next hour, we will be joined by Harry Moskoff, Rabbi Harry Moskoff. And um, this is his new book called The Ark Report. He's getting very close to uncovering some treasures from King Solomon's temple, and uh, he also believes with a great deal of certitude uh, that he knows the location of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, We'll get to uh, that all is uh, upcoming. Uh, There's a—hey, folks, welcome to the future. 
Uh, a Wisconsin tech company is offering its employees microchip implants uh, that can be used to scan into the building and uh, purchase food at work. Whether or not uh, to get a chip, of course, is up to the employees to decide. It's called Three Square Market, and uh, the company provides technology for break room or micro markets. They have over 50 employees, and they plan to have the devices implanted. They're going to have a microchip party, apparently, and the, uh, the tiny chip uses RFID technology or radio frequency identification. It can be implanted between the thumb and forefinger within seconds according to a statement from the company. Here to discuss is Ali Siadatan, who has a master's degree in French language and literature from the University of Toronto. He was born in Iran after the Islamic Revolution of 1979 and was thrusted into a spiritual search which led him to Jesus Christ and to faith in the gospel. After building a successful urban outreach ministry and a business, getting married and having two children, Ali is now working on his second documentary titled Goliath Rising and working on a fiction, a piece of fiction titled The School of Mysteries. He's currently a teacher at the Rosh Pina Messianic Congregation in Toronto, and he's appeared on many American and Canadian radio shows. Ali Siadatan, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show, my friend. How are you? Thank you for having me, Richard. I'm fine. How are you? Well, well, very well. All right, so how closely does what's happening at this uh, Wisconsin company asking its employees voluntarily to take a chip a microchip under the skin. How closely does that align in your views with Revelation chapter 13, verse 16, Mark of the Beast? Well, I find it very interesting. Uh, this is a passage that people have been thinking about for uh, a few decades now, and the idea of an implantable chip being the mark is an idea that is always stuck in the stratosphere of thought because it has such a nefarious aura about it um, the history uh, of the companies that have been involved in creating these chips and promoting them, they're very strange companies. Um, uh, there's, for instance, Digital Angel, just even the names, you know, was, was one of the original companies combining GPS and RFID. Um, there is the company that came out of that very chip. Now, what was be- behind the investor behind Digital Angel was IBM, and we know that IBM is the, uh, the company that computerized the Holocaust. When, when you look at a Holocaust survivor and they have a number on their arm, that is the number of the IBM's computer processing That's machine. That's right. That's right. So the machinery of the Holocaust, you know, was uh, IBM was hired to, to, to organize it. They fund Digital Angel that goes into GPS on RFID, and then it takes on kind of a commercial face called Verichip, and get this, the world's number one manufacturer of RFID chips is Alien Technology yes, Corporation. indeed. And you think, well, why is that important? Well, because um, um, researchers like myself who've looked deeply into this very strange phenomenon of alien abductions, what we've discovered is that some people actually come back with chips inside of them, and Dr. Lear, who's now passed away, was a surgeon who took some of these chips out, and the technology that was, that's in them is very advanced. And, and there is yet another, another dark connection. The companies, this, this connection with alien abductions and the fact that there's chips involved in that. Um, so there is enough weight there uh, for one to say, well, you know, this, this is an interesting thought. We should hang on to it. Maybe there is something here. And now we see the culture, like you mentioned, 
moving in that direction for all kinds of reasons, ease, commerce, security, you know, your child's going to get stolen, uh, you're, you're the president of an important company, it's good to have this just in case you get kidnapped for ransom, health care, it measures your blood pressure, and, and all kinds of, you know, we know how... That's right. The American Medical Association has approved use of a subdermal um, implantable uh, chip containing your medical records. And, and again, the sales job on this is, so let's say you get wheeled into an emergency, into emergency, you're unconscious, they can't locate next of kin, all of your, they don't know, are you, are you allergic to any medication? Everything plops up on the... I mean, it it makes sense from a certain standpoint. Well, if you've I mean, got an Alzheimer, a family member with Alzheimer's, and you, you're afraid they're going to wander and get lost and get hurt, you, you, you chip them, just the way we do with pets. Well, well and, and you know, it's not an isolated thing. I've been looking into the research of futurists, people who look into the latest research, into the companies, kind of look at, tell us what's coming down the pipeline moving forward and what they're all saying is that actually whether we understand it's moving that direction or not the data they're looking at says that we are embracing cybernetics but the next thing is that you know your cell phone that's basically a part of your body right now is going to actually become eventually really a part of your body and that we are as a society uh, being conditioned to move towards cybernetics i know it's a little bit strange we don't see it because we don't have the data but you know these are the people who told Polaroid that the next thing was digital uh, cameras, and Polaroid fired them, thinking that was crazy. And look where we are now. So, so that's what the futurists are saying. We're going towards embracing cybernetics. This could become very well a reality, but a gradual, subtle invasion of the culture. And then the Mark the Beast you mentioned, well, what makes there's a, there's a lot of information in that passage and one of the things that yeah give us the for those not familiar with with chapter 13 verses 16 and 17 uh, i don't know if you, i don't want to put you on the spot if you have that at the ready or you probably I have do, it committed to memory it. knowing you <laughs> it so happens that it's right here um it talks about a a, a very strong world leader uh, it appears that this is really the very end of the of history before the time of the messiah the son of david you know, bringing peace to the world and, and establishing his throne in Jerusalem. It seems that, that the prophecies talk about a final uh, imperial system that has in it all the previous empires and has these leaders, which are also called beasts, one that comes out of the sea, one that comes out of the earth. And the one that comes out of the earth, um, he displays all kinds of miraculous powers. It says that he, he deceives those that dwell on the earth by the means of miracles, which he has power to do in the sight of the beasts. Um, and, and so he makes fire come from the sky, uh, and, and again, for me, that connects him in some ways perhaps to the UFO reality, that that's where the fire comes from. It reminds me of the priests of Baal. The fire didn't come then, but it may come now. It reminds me of um, um, you know, all kinds of miracles in the Bible. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by fire from the sky. So this guy has that kind of a power, and then suddenly the passage reveals this very specific information to us. It says that he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, which is everybody, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. So it's, again, very specific, and, and that's where the chips are being implanted. Well, the, right, the hand is one of the places where this company that you mentioned at the beginning of the show is saying, well, this is where the chip's going to be implanted. So, you know, if you wave your hand. And, and, and then it tells us 
that no man might buy or sell. So suddenly the mind is led to the commercial system, and now we see how much money has become a digital reality, and even with Bitcoin, and we're just going deeper and deeper right. into the digital reality, uh, that no man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. So some people might say, you know what, I don't want the, the mark, I don't want the chip, give it to me in a card. Uh, you know, you'd still be you'd still be car- a, a card a carrier, a card holder of this, of this club of the club of the beast. Um, and then it ge- leaves us with this very enigmatic verse: "Here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six or six six six." Um, and, and there's a lot of you know controversy about the Greek and how it may have been translated, but but this is what. We, ha- we have to go with that there is a number. Some people point to gemetria, which is um, in Hebrew um, as well as in Greek, the letters were associated with numbers, so you could actually figure out someone's name right. through a series of the numbers. The Pythagorean screed. So it, it may, may, some say it, was, it adds up to Saddam Hussein. It spells out various you know, former world leaders and so forth. But, but this, so this microchip, not likely that this is the mark of the beast, but it's what it's doing is it's sort of laying the ground. It's it's yes, it's acclimatizing us like the the proverbial frog who's uh, slowly boiled. You place him in a in a pot of cold <laughs> water and you turn up the heat. So we're being acclimatized to it. Yeah, a, a good example for me is the debt culture. It's like you know, uh, what, what was that company before Visa? It was Cash X or something where everyone was mailed a card suddenly and, and they had credit. Next thing you know, it was not long ago. Next thing you know, we all have credit cards. Next thing you know, you can't rent a movie without it. You can't rent a car. You can't rent a hotel room. And you, you need it. And next thing you know, we're all accustomed to the slavery of debt, like King Solomon wrote that the borrower was a slave to the lender. And so suddenly we find ourselves in, in, as slaves to, to this debt culture and yet it came over us so subtly. You know, no one explained it to us. We just found ourselves in it. And, and we now have to work for the man. So it's, I think it's the same kind of a thing where there's all kinds of great reasons. Very quickly, uh, uh, time is tight here, but how, do you, uh, how does one avoid taking it? You, just, you have to suffer the consequences, I yeah, suppose, exactly. as a Christian. You have to stick with the consequences. What makes the mark the beast the mark the beast is that it's implemented by the beast. So this technology lays the groundwork, perhaps, and then we have a superior technology, one that controls the nervous system, and there's a lot of research into that, that these chips okay. can tap into your nervous system. Ali, we got to cut it there. Ali okay. Siadatan, thinkagainproductions.com. Always a pleasure, Ali. It was a pleasure. Have a beautiful evening. All right. Open lines on the other side. The telephone awaits. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi... Your parents' basement, not judging. Your loft, jealous. 
that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show, and a special hello to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, AM 740, 96.7 FM here in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto. A hi to all of you listening down the line on one of our affiliate stations. Of course, those checking us out on the podcast at Stitcher Radio, TuneIn.com, iTunes, and of course, don't forget TalkZone.com. Those of you who uh, take the show with you wherever you go on your mobile device through the uh, Conspiracy Show app and the Zoomer Radio app. Both of those are free downloads and absolutely fantastic apps. Check them out. Uh, Those of you who are streaming us live on YouTube tonight. And uh, those of you in the uh, the YouTube chat, always uh, appreciate your support and your loyalty. Incidentally, uh, we have uh, set ourselves a, a modest goal of 10,000 subscribers to our YouTube channel, which is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. So please take a moment, visit the channel, uh, check out the live stream, and subscribe. Uh, we are, I think we're, we've just passed... 5,500. All right, so we're getting there, but uh, we're really going to need a big push if we're going to make 10,000 by the end of 2017. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Rabbi Harry Moskoff will be with us, the Ark Report, and uh, we'll talk about uh, his latest excavations in uh, Israel. And uh, he is very close to uncovering some artifacts from Solomon's Temple that uh, I have it on good, uh, uh, a good uh, report that this will set the archaeological world on its head. And, of course, we'll also talk about uh, the, the whereabouts of the Ark of the Covenant. All right, open lines now until the bottom of the hour. And we'll also invite those of you joining us on the YouTube chat. Uh, to submit questions as well. Here are the phone numbers. 416-360-0740. That's for the greater Toronto area. Again, 416-360-0740. And uh, toll-free from out of town and just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740. Again, toll-free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740. Perhaps you'd like to weigh in on uh, living with the reality of a nuclear North Korea. Uh, And also we can talk about what we just discussed recently with Ali Siadatan, the mark of the beast, these employees in Milwaukee who are lining up voluntarily to take a microchip under the skin. Do you think that's the mark of the beast? If so, uh, or if would you take a chip? Would you willingly accept a microchip under your skin as a method of payment? Uh, and also, we can talk about this uh, ugliness uh, down in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia, where we had uh, various groups clashing. We had racists and bigots on one side, no doubt. Horrible human beings. Others involved in that group who simply want to see history preserved. They don't want to see artifacts from the Confederate uh, Confederate South, statues of Robert E. Lee, for example, taken down. But let's face it, there were some absolute subhuman bigots participating 
in that in that march. And also on the other side, we had a group that I say masquerades as anti-fascist, anti-fa. But when you look at their tactics, the way they cover their faces, the way they intimidate, the way that they impose their will through threats and violence, very similar to Mussolini's black shirts. So Antifa is not what it appears as far as I'm concerned. So you had those two groups uh, clashing with tragic results. And uh, unfortunately, uh, this is not surprising. This was bound to happen. And unfortunately, it's probably going to happen again. There will be these clashes. But I would hardly characterize what happened down in Charlottesville as one group standing up for equality clashing with, you know, these hateful bigots. There, was, there are hateful bigots on both sides, intolerant types on both sides. We can chat about that as well. However... You will decide where we go over the next uh, half hour, and let's begin. Uh, who do we have uh, here on the line? Someone who wants to talk about Earl. Earl in Oakville wants to talk about sleep paralysis. Hi, hey, Earl, how are a, you? I had a nightmare a couple of weeks ago about the old hag. I was sleeping, and I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. I was trying to wake up. And I remember you having a program about this old hag that attacks people while they're sleeping. And I had that experience. Well... Was it a nightmare, or were you the... the, the well, you know, um, it happened around 5.30 in the morning. I looked at my, my clock, which was right beside me. Okay, so you were awake. I was awake. All right, then... Yeah, it, I, and, I, and I could not I could not see this thing, and I was paralyzed. You know, I couldn't move. Right. I was making a sound, you know? So I said to myself, listen, I'm a Christian. So I started saying the Lord's Prayer out loud. And it stopped. I've heard that works. Absolutely. It works. Yes. Well, yeah. as far as the, the North Korea is concerned, I hope cooler heads prevail in that situation. Well, I think we all do. Yeah, um, okay. The question oh, you is, care, pal. you too, Earl in Oakville. Yeah. Uh, let me address the North Korea situation first. Uh, suggesting that cooler heads might prevail on the North Korean side, I, I think, is a bit of a stretch. We are not talking about cooler heads. We are talking about an irrational, nutcase, psychopath. And I'm not talking about Donald Trump here. <laughs> I'm talking about the North Korean side. Um, what I am confident about is that uh, President Trump has surrounded himself with a pretty good team. I think uh, that, um, uh, that his, um, his staff, I think they're very capable. I think Mattis is a good guy. I think he has very sound judgment. And um, I think the uh, the Secretary of State Tillinger Tillinger uh, is um, is pretty shrewd as well. Uh, his national security team. I, I have a lot of confidence in them. The question is how best to deal with a nuclear Iran or a nuclear North Korea. And sanctions clearly have not worked in the past. Here's the danger of even tougher sanctions. Um, the UN Ambassador Haley. I think who is acquitting herself quite nicely recently, and, but, and she's really lobbying for really tough sanctions, and the UN, UN has passed another round of sanctions. But we've seen this before. Here's the problem with tough sanctions. If you further impoverish a country like North Korea, which is essentially a prison camp, the people there have nothing, uh, 
then North Korea might be inclined to sell nuclear secrets, nuclear technology, nuclear material uh, to some, some other rogue nation like Iran or to some radical jihadi group. That's the, the downside of trying to impose further sanctions. I, for one, I, I believe the tough rhetoric is, is called for. Some people think that what Trump did was, was, was uh, reckless. But what it does is it sends a clear message to Kim Jong-un. Listen, this is not, there's a, there's a new sheriff in town, right? This is not the, the Obama administration, the Clinton administration, the George um, W. Bush administration, which essentially stuck their head in the sand and, and hoped that it would go away, the situation. That's what they did. And now, people like former National Security Advisor Susan Rice has the temerity to lay the blame at Trump's feet. He didn't create this situation. But he's certainly sort of redefining, I think, how this game is going to be played going forward. A very dangerous game, yes. But what is the answer? Do we put, does the United States uh, place tactical nukes back in South Korea? Does he encourage a nuclear program in Japan? give China a little bit of its own medicine. I think the key here is the United States has to convince China that Kim Jong-un's administration is more trouble than it's worth. And they do hold some cards. Economically, trade, and so forth. They really start, they really need to start clamping down on China. China sends the Chinese uh, elite, the ruling elite in China, send a lot of their children over to study in the United States. Let's start there. No more. No more visas. They got to get tough with China. That's, that's the way they get to North Korea. They have to convince China Kim Jong-un is more trouble than he's worth. And China is intimating that they have lost control of Kim Jong-un. They're a yappy little lapdog. They may be convinced, if they can get close enough, to take this character out. So that, hopefully, someone more manageable will be installed. Someone who we can negotiate with. 416-360-0740, toll-free from out of town, one 866 Four seven forty. Why don't we talk a little bit, Albert, about what's coming up in the program now that we have a moment next week? Yeah, sure. We have uh, Mitch Batros from uh, the Science of Cycles, and he is talking about uh, the causal effect between cosmic rays and geophysical and biopsychosocial outcome. Okay. That's a mouthful. You know, no, Galactic Mitch, cosmic rays. Yeah, Mitch has been on the program before, and he has an interesting take on what's causing, for example, um, gl- uh, cl- climate change, which is a constant, right? Climate change is a constant. Um, and he says it's not nothing to do with greenhouse gases. It has to do with cosmic rays coming from deep space. Uh, but he goes further, and this time around, we're going to talk about how these cosmic rays not only affect climate, but virtually all human behavior, even cycles in the stock market. This is something that Joseph Farrell, Joseph Farrell uh, has written about extensively as well. Uh, and this, this secret knowledge uh, that, you know, that, that the elite bankers even have and how they are able to predict 
the trends and the waves and the cycles, predicting the cycles in terms of the economy and enrich themselves, understanding how these cosmic rays affect human behavior. All right, and then we also have... Be a Hero with John Geddes, How to Survive an Active Shooter Event. All right, well, that's a, a stark reality and a sad commentary on our times, but uh, it's good information. It could save your life. All right, Open Lines continues on the other side. Stay with us. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. All right, welcome back. Just a reminder, coming up at the bottom of the hour, Rabbi Harry Moskoff, The Ark Report, Secret for the Century. Can't wait for this conversation. Um, let's go to the uh, the uh, live chat in uh, on the YouTube channel. And uh, Ryan, people have some questions, comments? A couple people want to know uh, your take on on the chip. Raz2 asks if you would accept the chip. And on that topic as well, Andrew is wondering if maybe the chip, in a sense, is out of our control. What if... Or the mark uh, of the beast is out of our control. The, mar- the mark of the beast. What if, say, your thumbprint, which we use to access all sorts of things nowadays, could be interpreted as the mark of the beast? Well, first of all, uh, I'm, I'm a Christian. I do believe uh, in biblical prophecy. I believe in the the, uh, the concept of an antichrist and and uh, and a mark of the beast. Uh, I, I don't believe the thumbprint would be a mark of the beast. I think it's a choice. Not only is the mark of the beast something that will enable you to buy or sell, uh, but the the real purpose uh, or one of the main purposes of the mark of the beast, as I understand it, is to basically test your allegiance and to illustrate that you are aligned with the Antichrist. If you, therefore, if you, you, therefore, you have to accept, you have to willingly accept the mark of the beast. Uh, it can't be forced upon you. I don't think that would make sense. It would lose its symbolic significance if it was forced upon you. Uh, but, um, you know, if I were to, you know, to live to that, uh, at that point in history, in, in the end times, and I was uh, asked to take the mark of the beast... Or it's the guillotine for me. I would, I would take the guillotine. The seal of God. The seal of the, the seal of God is the alternative. Like everyone gets chipped, but where do you go to get the seal of God? <laughs> I don't know. Good question. Uh, but um, if it was, if it was a choice between taking the mark of the beast, which is to align yourself with the antichrist, and to, and therefore to deny Christ as a Christian, I can't do that. Right. that yeah, so that's the part about the four. I would have they, to. They interpret the forehead that you make the conscious choice. Yeah. Right. That I would have, have to, to suffer the consequences, and I, yeah. I, I would like to think I would do so standing tall. All right. Uh, let's say hello to Eric, who's checking in from Illinois. Hello, Eric. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, I was calling in about those uh, increasingly unpopular monuments, and maybe if they just put, like, a bronze plaque to a company 
those things, explaining that two sides of, the, of this of this story, historical story, and then people they can choose whatever part of the paragraph they want. Precisely, I think the idea of trying to erase a country's history because some of it is a little distasteful is, you know, this is the kind of thing that medieval death cults like ISIS participate in. They destroy history. Now, not all of history is sweetness and light. Some of it is dark. Um, so, and here's the other thing, if I could uh, just go off on a bit of a tangent. I think it's interesting uh, that the group that is trying to erase these vestiges of the Confederate South are by and large on the left, the Democrats. Now, why is that? I'll tell you why. It's because it's their legacy. Slavery. It was a democratic institution. The Republicans were born as an abolitionist party. The racial segregation laws were an invention of the Democrats, not the Republicans. The people that stood in opposition to the Civil Rights Act uh, and, and various amendments that granted citizenship to the freed slaves and gave the vote to the freed slaves, the opposition came by and large from the Democrats. So if that's your legacy and you're trying to reinvent yourself, then you want to expunge from the historical record all of the things that point to your legacy, which would include... The one thing that affects this is, and the libraries are constantly putting in newer books and they get rid of all the the old ones with the real history in it, the what do they call it, incunabula? Right. It's um, if it doesn't fit the new narrative, then it must be expunged. Uh, this, I mean, this it's is this like is right out of the Soviet. Erased a town. This is right out of the Soviet textbook. I mean, they had they had whole government departments, and you know, if you remember, of course, George Orwell's 1984. That's what they did. In fact, the lead character in the book that was his job was to go back through books, textbooks, and history books, and rewrite passages to fit the new narrative. That's what's going on, by and large, right now. This attempt to erase history. And why is the left leading the charge? Again, because they own it. They need to wear it. They need to walk the shame, do the walk of shame. That's their legacy. Once they own up to it, then we can start to move forward, but not until. Eric, thank you. Having said that... Thank you much. Goodbye. The people on the other side in that protest in Charlottesville, odious subhuman, many of them. Others, I'm sure, people of good conscience who simply want to preserve history. But again, many of them, yes, bigoted, horrible human beings. Uh, Let's say hello to Ronald, who's in Toronto. Good morning, Ronald. Welcome. Uh, Hi, it's uh, Randall Montgomery, author of Aliens and UFOs. Oh, hey, Randall. Good to hear from you. How are you? Good, good. Listen, I'm going to do something a little bit unusual and give a plug to one of your former guests, Donald Jeffries. Oh, Don Jeffries, yes. I'm uh, reading sur- Survival book. of the Richest. I, I have ordered Survival of the Richest. I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm reading the book that he was talking about before, Hidden History. Yes. And I would encourage everybody to buy this book. I, I've got no, no interest in it here personally. You know, I've never met him. I, he's never heard of me. I just, I'm just so impressed with the, the detail and the depth and the amount of research that's in it. It's so scary. I can only read a couple of chapters and then I have to leave it for a couple of weeks. So I'm only halfway through, and it's just, just a wealth of information. 
Uh, just one tiny example, everything we thought about Ronald Reagan, it, the opposite was true. He was not a tax cutter. He was not a, a foreign uh, expense cutter. He was, he was the opposite of a lot of things that everybody thought he was. So that, that was just one little thing that I'm getting out of this book. All right. Um, yeah, I'm not, I don't know. I would take umbrage with, with that. To me, Reagan was a, a tax cutter. Now, he didn't, um, he didn't, I mean, he ran up huge debts. Uh, a lot of that had to do with defense spending and also, of course, um, a, a bit of an obstructionist Congress that wanted to ram through their spending bills. And he could have certainly stood up a little, a little tougher in that regard. I don't know. I, I, I would certainly, I would well, certainly. That's not my position. No, I understand. What, what I'm reading from the book, that right. he actually raised the tax rate for the, the lower income people and he cut it drastically for the super rich. So he increased the income disparity, you know. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, I'd have to go back and check that record. But you're, you're right. Um, Donald is a great writer. And um, um, well, there's just so so much in the book that I I really look forward to hearing him on your show again. You could you could have him on six times and and still have lots of stuff to discuss. True. Now, Randall, while I got you here, we recently celebrated the 70th anniversary of the uh, the Roswell UFO crash, and I I know you you must be dying to weigh in on that. Well, I just got irked about that because, as you know, in my book, I, uh, I, I say it's a myth, and it, it detracts from the really good sightings like Randall-Sham Forest in the U.S. and Shag Harbor in Nova Scotia and all the really well-documented ones. I mean, here we are seven years later, not one shred of physical evidence, not one cubic centimeter. Nevertheless, I did find this show interesting. I, I think Don Schmidt is, is sincere. I just think I just wish he would put his, his energies into something more more plausible. Well, you know, it, okay. I still think it was the Rawin tracking balloon. Uh, all the evidence points to that. But I think he, he's he's doing hard work, and he comes yeah. up with some interesting uh, things that I might want to have a second look at it. What, what do you think, though, of the the um, the, the eyewitness testimony? I mean that's that's admissible in court. That's that's well, prima facie evidence. I've been thinking of writing a book where I do a mock trial and I put the evidence pro and con. All the stuff he's quoting is years and years after the fact. I mean, the real nobody actually saw the thing land, so there's no actual eyewitness to the landing. But the people who were first on the scene, you know, Jesse Marcel Sr., right. Mac Brazell. The description, I mean, you even played it on your own show, the original Army radio broadcast. The thing was flimsy. It was made of lightweight materials. It couldn't have a power source. It couldn't carry a man. It was obviously a kite-like, it even said, I think, kite-like apparatus. Hmm. All right. Uh, what are you working on these days, Randall? Well, uh, nothing right now along that vein. As I said, though, I'm mentally thinking of having a, a book where I set up a mock trial for Roswell with, as if it was a court trial with the evidence pro and con. That is a great idea. But as a lawyer, I really don't think that, uh, that the people who believe that it was a crash flying saucer and alien corpses would win. But that's up to the judge. <laughs> you know what? Uh, if you do that book... That'd be a, it's a brilliant idea. The other thing is maybe we could maybe we could do a, a live event and have Don Schmidt and, and let's let's do the mock trial on stage. Yeah, up here in Toronto. Well, I would want him on the other side. That yes, absolutely. It, uh, even-handed. Yeah, yeah. Terrific, uh, Randall. Always great to hear from you. Okay, thanks, Richard. Thank you. Uh, let's say to, uh, hi to Kev in uh, New York. Good morning, Kev. How are you? Is it Kevin? Did we Hello? lose? Hi there. 
Is it Kev? Hi, my name is Alan. I'm in Alaska. Oh, Alan in Alaska. All right. How are you, Alan? Hey, hey Rich. Just wanted to comment. I missed the first part of your show. I'm going to catch up on YouTube later about the North Korea stuff. Right. Uh, but I just wanted to tell you, I think that your comments on the Charlottesville uh, episode is uh, really great. And probably you won't hear anything like this anywhere else, uh, right-wing news or the mainstream media. I just think you're giving a very objective point of view and a very good point of view. Oh, I appreciate that. And whereabouts in Alaska are you? Uh, Interior Alaska, about 100 miles from Fairbanks. And how are you listening to the program? On uh, YouTube. Excellent. All right. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already, Alan. I appreciate it. And uh, what? All right. Always great to uh, to hear from the hinterland and uh, the interior of Alaska. Uh, why don't we go back over to the uh, YouTube chat uh, forum, Ryan, and uh, what else are people asking? Oh. Whoops. Let me get your mic on there. Yeah, no, our, our, our longtime friend YY has been uh, asking the past couple of weeks. She wants to know your thoughts on CERN. It's been quiet lately, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is the um, – I don't – I'm not a physicist, and nor do I play one on the radio. Uh, but from what I understand, this is a – this. Hadron Collider, it's, um, it's intended to smash these particles together, and what they're trying to do is somehow get a glimpse into, you know, the, the very early moments when the universe was, was born, you know, the moments after, the immediate moments after the Big Bang, supposedly. Uh, and then, of course, there was all of this concern that by doing this, smashing these particles together uh, with this Hadron, Hadron Collider, that they might perhaps create a black hole that would swallow the Earth. And other people said that they would create a, uh, a, some sort of a portal, um, you know, all sorts of, you know, doom and gloom scenarios, none of which have happened. Uh, but I don't pret- pretend to understand what exactly it is they're trying to do uh, uh, or what, at what stage they're at now. As I say, it's been very quiet lately. Uh, but uh, maybe it's time for an update on that. Maybe we should do a show on the Hadron Collider and CERN. Uh, all right. Anything else on the uh, the YouTube forum? One gentleman, uh, Vivi Delgado, has been asking, and I remember this too. We had we had a guy in a few months ago who made these sort of symbols out of out of water vibrations. He wants to. Oh, live- Joshua P. Warren. Joshua P. There Warren. Yeah. The um, what do they call those things again, Albert? Uh, sig. Um, Sigil, yeah. Sig, sig, signal? No. Sigil. Sigil. Sigils, that's right. I happen to have one in my wallet. Uh, it was the one that Joshua P. Warren posted on his website, and um, it was supposed to bring you good luck. So what I do, the mighty Aphrodite and I, when we go to buy a lottery ticket, we don't buy one every week. We don't buy them religiously, but occasionally, uh, if you know the the uh, the jackpot is up there substantially, we'll go and buy one. And we'll when we buy the ticket, we'll sort of pass it over the sigil that we carry in our wallet. And I tell you, um, I mean, we haven't won anything big, but you know, we've been winning ten dollars here, ten dollars there, free tickets here, free tickets there. Certainly, I would have to say that our luck has improved uh, since we put the sigil in our in our wallet. So maybe there's something to what J- uh, Joshua P. Warren is is on about. Have you ever used a sigil, Albert? I, I printed out the same one. He, oh, did you? he had one for money and one for psychic ability. Uh, the one you said, good luck for fortune. I, I put it up over my desk on like the little dartboard. And? 
Any results? Well, I found ten dollars in the street, and I had the one up for money. So I, 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 I don't know if you can exactly attribute it to that, but <laughs> I guess, yeah. You need to print out the one for psychic ability, though, and see if that works because you know it might help you with the uh, the well, remote viewing. Okay. <laughs> All right. Just a reminder: upcoming Harry Moskov standing by to discuss the Ark report, and uh, he is on the cusp. I have it on good authority. He is on the cusp of uh, discovering or unearthing some treasures from King Solomon's temple. That uh, is all on the other side. Stay with us here on The Conspiracy Show. Want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio. To get the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. According to the Bible, Moses had the Ark of the Covenant built to hold the Ten Commandments at the command of God. The Israelites carried the Ark with them during their 40 years spent wandering in the desert. And after the conquest of Canaan, it was brought to Shiloh. King David later took the Ark to Jerusalem, where his son and successor Solomon eventually installed it in the temple. Since its disappearance some 2,000 years ago, numerous theories have arisen about, it, about its fate. One of the most well-known holds that Levitical priests moved the Ark to, to Egypt just before the Babylonians sacked Jerusalem in 586 BC. From there, it was supposedly moved to Ethiopia, where it resides to this day in the town of Aksum in the St. Mary of Zion Cathedral. My next guest believes with a great deal of certitude he knows where the Ark of the Covenant is, and it's not in Ethiopia, but he's also on the cusp of making some other startling archaeological discoveries relating to the treasures of King Solomon's temple. Harry Moskov is an award-winning film producer and writer of The Ark Report. He's a Canadian-born research analyst. His intense interest in biblical archaeology and politics has now made him a prolific contributor to several Israeli publications and an internationally acclaimed expert on the Ark of the Covenant and other hidden temple artifacts. Harry's been working on this project for more than 25 years, using his skills as a patent agent to research and dig deep beneath the surface of an issue to find the truth. From pouring through multitudes of religious and secular texts, Harry's concluded uh, where the exact location of the Ark of the Covenant is and how it may be accessed. He says it's no longer a mystery. He's managing director of an internationally accredited press organization, Moskov Media, that promotes issues concerning Israel. With an emphasis on biblical archaeology, he's also an ordained Orthodox rabbi. Harry Moskov, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? 
Good, very good. Thanks, Richard. It's nice to be speaking with you again. Likewise. After, uh, the, after you know, the Coast to Coast show was a lot of great feedback, and your own show over here. Actually, I'm now in Ontario, uh, northern Ontario, as opposed to Israel, so it should be a lot uh, clearer uh, now, hopefully. Although what? I have a bit of a cold, I have a bit of a sinus allergy up here. That's okay. Listen, <laughs> Sorry I met about that. I um. I, I, I met your, your your mom and your dad. They came. They actually came to my house and delivered this book, hand delivered this book. Wow! And they are so proud of you, uh, <laughs> Thank and you. and Good very and, and very excited. Um, at the when when we met, um, you were at that time still in Israel, and you were right. on the cusp. You had, you know, as we spoke, you had shovel in hand, and you had. I want you to tell the story of how you located. This on this plot of land, a location you say underneath re- resides uh, some vessels from King Solomon's temple. First, tell us how you uncovered this century-old mystery, and secondly, what is the importance of this discovery? Well, uh, to actually, I've never said this live on any show before because it's so recent. So you have that merit, uh, definitely, to be able to to know this. This new information, which is very, obviously very exciting, etc. Uh, what actually happened was, when I was making the book, the manuscript of the book, I hired several people to transcribe the interviews that I did, interviews with the Israeli politicians that are on side with this, uh, with Mike Huckabee, who endorses my work, uh, the governor, and others. And later on, he says, listen, you know, there's this incredible story in a book about, just to make a long story short, about a farmer a hundred years ago in Israel, in the Jerusalem area, that falls, he's plowing his field, and he falls into this cave uh, all of a sudden. And uh, with his worker, uh, he had a worker with him, and he, when his eyes get adjusted, he sees that these are the vessels, the holy, you know, sacred artifacts for the temple. The ancient uh, temple in Jerusalem, there was the candelabra, maybe, there were a whole bunch of golden vessels, maybe some of the instruments that the Levites used, uh, the clothing of the priests, a whole bunch of things that, that may have been in there that he saw, but the fact that he did see that, he comes out of the hole, of the, it covers up the cave, and uh, travels to New York, where he tells this rabbi, Rabbi Herman, this is a documented fact, trusts him with the secret, makes a map, of where this treasure lies, real treasure. There's a book called All for the Boss in the Jewish community about this story as well, about this Rabbi Herman. Anyway, he says, he asks the rabbi, is it time yet to reveal these holy vessels, which could cause, you know, messianic, uh, uh, I mean, the implications are, are huge. So the, they ask a big rabbi, one of the biggest uh, leaders of the generation, uh, his name was the Chabad Chaim in Poland, where his son was studying, and the answer is no, it's not ready. The Jewish generation, and this is in the 1930s, early 1930s, this generation isn't ready yet for this information, not ready for the Third Temple yet, and uh, you have to, you know, the farmer uh, for, uh, eventually forgot about the story, kept it a secret till the day he died, and then he passed on the information to his daughter, who wrote that book, All for the Boss. And this this guy who's doing my manuscript happens to be related to the daughter and uh, passed on the information to me because I wrote the story, page 95 of my book, 
uh, he actually wrote the story and said, look, this, these are the details that you're missing, etc. And this is what I remember. And when, they, when he told over, they had a big family meeting about the bath, uh, recreating the bath, etc., where these temple vessels are hidden. And he happened to be there with his wife. This is many, many years ago. He's older now. And he said, you know what? You are the person to tell this to. And he, I still have the email. And these are the coordinates, the landmarks, from 100 years ago. That was back then. So you have a recreation of the original map. Exactly. Pointing to the exact do. location of this, subter- this subterranean cave right. in which are untold, priceless treasures from King Solomon's temple. Exactly. And uh, it took me a while to find it. It took me about nine months using the landmarks from the Ottoman Empire 100 years ago. Uh, that, that he had told me about. And the miraculous thing is, even today, you know, Jerusalem is a bustling city. This field, which is about 100 meters or so, by 100 meters, is completely empty to this day. And so we're actually... And, and who... Oh, so, it, does, I mean, does anyone own this plot of land? There are... There was a business that owned it, uh, with a building next to it. But uh, it's since then uh, got into... Uh, Nobody owns it anymore, put it that way. It, they, they went bankrupt, the business. So. And this is right in, within the city limits of Jerusalem? Yeah, it's in the greater Jerusalem area, put it okay. that way. So to find an undisputed plot of land that hasn't been developed yet is just sitting there waiting for you to uncover this treasure. That's, I mean, that's miraculous. It really is. It really is. And there's, there's a TV series actually in the making that we're actually negotiating right now with this great uh, company, a production company in Beverly Hills, uh, to, to actually go and do a whole series about this type of thing. There are many uh, big networks that are interested, okay. but nobody has really come forward with a, a shovel yet, except for myself. And uh, this is the first time I'm really, you know, telling it over. And it is extremely exciting. Like the people that do know about it, there are some select few big uh, rabbis, etc., that I went to in Israel to say, look, this is, this is most likely the place, really. Okay, i got to take a time out, Rabbi. Just hold on. We'll come back sure. and we'll find out why this is so significant and how close you are to actually taking a shovel and a pickaxe and whatever's required in uncovering these treasures from Solomon's Temple. And then we'll also uh, touch upon, of course, the Ark of the Covenant and uh, where it may be hidden. Back with more of my conversation with Rabbi Harry Moskoff. Stay with us. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Rabbi Harry Moskoff is with us. The book is The Ark Report, The Ark of the Covenant and the Tunnels of Israel. And uh, just before the break, he was talking about uh, this uh, treasure that he is um, hoping to unearth uh, from King Solomon's temple. And uh, he has located it using um, 
a reproduction of a very old map. Now, what's preventing you from just going there with a shovel and a pickaxe and, and finding that cave and unearthing the treasure? Uh, well, um, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, the truth is, well, first let me make a, a little bit of a technical correction there. It's not uh, vessels from the King, Sol- King Solomon's Temple. These are actually uh, vessels from the Herodian Temple, uh, which was uh, about 2,000 years ago, destroyed in 70 okay, so the, A.D. Okay, so the Second Temple, then. Exactly. The Second Temple, uh, when it was being destroyed, actually, is, this is also a documented fact, before it was destroyed, uh, it was actually uh, by the Romans, there were caves uh, in the area, and, and a lot of the priests, my ancestors, actually, used some of these caves to hide, even a year before it was destroyed, or two years even, to hide some of the vessels. Uh, the Romans actually found most of those caves, but a couple they didn't find, and this is one of them. Uh, in answer to your question, there's really nothing stopping me. In fact, I did go there about two weeks ago with a shovel, just uh, as a symbolic, I think, more than anything, uh, sort of, uh, you know, just first uh, breaking the earth, that for the first time in 100 years there's somebody that's actually doing this. And uh, I really believe it is the time now to, to do this, to actually, you know, uh, bring this new uh, era forward, and hopefully it'll help to bring peace to the region. Obviously, it's very volatile, uh, etc. But I definitely, I think there's a lot of geopolitical, you know, factors involved. It's a very sensitive issue when these things are being found. In fact, you know, talk about conspiracy, uh, when Vendel Jones, who's the real original Indiana Jones, Vendel Jones, in 1998, when he had his excavations in Qumran, so the CIA was following from 1992 to 1995, closely following his excavations. He was also looking for the Ark and other vessels. Have you, have you ever felt the presence of uh, the CIA or shadowy men in black trailing you, Rabbi? <laughs> Not, not yet. I think I'm still under the radar, but I'm not so sure anymore. Okay, let me ask you, though. So, again, what, what is preventing you? For, what do you need? Heavier equipment? Do you need to take a bobcat to the location? What right, do you need? exactly. Yeah, that would be ideal, to, like a small mini-excavator. And, uh, by the way, I have to say, if there is anybody that is interested in being involved with the project, the ARC Report project, they can write to me at uh, P.O. Box 400, uh, Beit Shemesh, Israel, to Harry Moskov. Well, I have a crew uh, at, at the ready. I mean, we should talk after the show. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> uh, it's very exciting. Yeah, there are a lot of people that are really, uh, that are interested. Obviously, you know, when we do the shoot, when we actually you know, do this, uh, if we do end up doing the TV series, or even if not, there's not that much. Uh, the truth is, there isn't that much preventing people like myself uh, to to actually go out there and begin, and I did. Okay. And sure enough, I found Earth coming through there. What what is the import? I mean, obviously these would be priceless. They're historical artifacts of, of a huge import, unimaginable importance to the state of Israel. But you mentioned that they could help bring peace to the to the region. What is the actual importance? Why uncovering these? Why do you think it could bring peace, or why could it why could it bring sort of volatility to the Middle East? What's so important? Well. There's a lot of people that would love to see it, and there's a lot of people that would not like to see it. Uh, in terms of, it would, it would definitely change, I think, the balance of power in many ways. You have uh, organizations like UNESCO, for instance, that are claiming 
places like the Western Wall and the old city of Jerusalem, etc., to be uh, Muslim, you know, Palestinian territory, occupied Palestinian territory. It's all political, of course, but finding these vessels would show once and for all that this land, etc., belongs. There was, really was a temple on the Temple Mount. There was an ark. There was, you know, all these things really existed 2,000 years ago, and even further, going all the way back to King David, like you said, King Solomon. So that would be something that a lot of people don't want to see, that, uh, you know, sort of like the more the leftist and on some of the media, etc. the people that... Right, really, because there, know, is a denial, there is a denial that there ever was, if you can believe this, uh, people who, who simply deny that there ever was a temple... Uh, situ- situated true. on what is now the Temple Mount. Well, there wasn't just w- one, folks. There was two, and maybe soon to be three. Right. Uh, could uncovering these artifacts uh, and then uncovering the Ark of the Covenant, and we only have a few minutes to discuss that, uh, could that uh, be the impetus for the construction of the Third Temple? Absolutely. That's the thing. That's why it's such a biblical, it's such a, a huge import because of what it will lead to. You know, it's true, you could put one of these utensils, one of these artifacts into the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History or something, but at the end of the day, it's going to go into the Third Temple, and that's going to cause huge, uh, you know, cataclysmic, it could be a war, uh, you know, over this, in Jerusalem, etc. Or it could bring something, it could be, uh, it could say, look, this is really what, this is the future of Israel, and which it is, and let's just try and settle it peacefully. Okay, uh, just in the time that remains, we have to talk about the Ark of the Covenant. Yes. You don't believe that it was spirited away to Ethiopia, where it resides to this day. You believe that's a replica there. Exactly. Uh, you're quite certain that you know the location of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, where is it? Well, to be honest, the only one who really knows is, I think, uh, Eliyahu Navi, Elijah the Prophet. Any, no, everyone can claim to know, but... The, it's, I, I think I have, I believe, 100% in my theory. Uh, by the way, just another technical correction, uh, the one in Ethiopia went directly from Jerusalem to Ethiopia, not through Egypt, not through Tanis. That's a different uh, story there. All right. But uh, I believe that finding these vessels in this farmer's field will lead, will have clues as well, supporting the theory of the Ark, which is now lying in the same place it was put there 2,700 years ago underneath the Temple Mount, but not where the Dome of the Rock is, as most people believe. Uh, most people believe that that was the place of the Holy of Holies, and that rock was the foundation stone. But actually, according to my theory that I proved in my book, the Ark Report, it's actually further to the southwest, further towards the Wailing Wall, about 15 meters below the surface, today's surface, of the Temple Mount. There are tunnels under there now. You've been in those tunnels, so you were very close to this secondary chamber, this safe room where the the Ark of the Covenant was moved just prior to the sacking of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in around 586 B.C. Um, yes. When you were down in those tunnels and you were perhaps in close proximity to the awesome power of the Ark of the Covenant, did you feel any sort of an energy or vibration or anything indicating you might be close? Well, I, you know, once you're on the other side of that tunnel, there's several entrances. Uh, one is called Warren's Gate in the Western Wall Tunnels. There's the Well of Souls Cave, which is right underneath the Dome of the Rock, Sister Number 3. It, there's about 45 known tunnels, actually, under the Temple Mount, but four or five 
actual entrances where the ark may actually be in the chamber where it might be today. I I feel when I go up on the Temple Mount, I feel which is very rare. But when I do go, uh, I I do feel a very it's a very surreal experience, and it's you know I don't I don't condone it. I don't tell people to go or not. That's their decision. But it is an incredible spiritual. Uh, it's like another it's like another plane. Right now, you would have to be uh, only those uh, who are um, of the Priest. the Levite tribe. Right, can 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 approach the shroud uh, or uh, approach the uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Otherwise, you would just be vaporized like the Nazis in in uh, in uh, Indiana <laughs> Jones, right? Right. Well, the the Ark itself has this incredible awareness. Uh, of what is around it and who has permission and who doesn't have permission to be there. It's uh, some people say in the Jewish. Uh, some of the sages say that there's there was an angel in there. There's one theory called Uriel, uh, Oriel that is, and there's some that say that the ark. Of course, it's a magnet for the divine presence. So uh, anybody getting close to it, sort of like a reactor. So once you do get in there or anywhere close behind that wall. Sure. I mean, it traveled a whole kilometer in front of the Israelites because of its power, because of its, you know, all that energy. Uh, and there are those who believe there's, a, you know, electromagnetic energy there, like uh, electricity, you know, electrostatic electricity. Uh, that's what that's what sort of killed the scorpions and the snakes, etc. There are those who believe that... And leveled the walls of Jericho. Exactly. Leveled the walls of Jericho, parted the waters of, of the Jordan River, it, the list goes on. It's, it was, it's an indestructible, it's, one, it's the only item in the whole world that's really indestructible. And the reason why people feel so close to the, to the Western Wall, to the, uh, etc., to that area, to the Temple Mount, is because the Ark is there. That's what draws down the Divine Presence. And, and you are uh, of the Levite tribe, correct? So you right. are a descendant of a, a Levite priest. Yes, exactly. So uh, you would code. be a, you would be able to approach the ark. You would be able to put place your hands on the ark where others could not. So do you believe you may be the one? I believe it's possible. That's for sure. I mean, I do have my lineage that goes back all the way back to the Second Temple uh, as a priest, uh, as well as my my father, which you met, and my mother, and even my wife. So that's a very rare combination. I don't know if I'd be, I mean, in theory, I could approach the Ark if I'm pure enough, etc. There's a lot of steps that have to be taken, uh, wearing the right clothes, etc. But I wouldn't touch it. <laughs> I, I, it's, it. I'd have to have permission. Even even Moses had to have permission to go into the tabernacle. Uh, it's, it's, it's very dangerous, obviously, physically well. and spiritually. But I would, I would certainly want to, at the right time... To, to try to do that, yeah, God willing. Well, and hopefully you and your team, when they uncover the Ark of the Covenant, you can maybe march that thing over to Pyongyang and uh, and um, introduce it to uh, uh, to Kim Jong Un. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, it's a pretty scary thing. So yeah, he would. Uh, I think that that would take care of him pretty well. The the. I, that whole thread, I, you know. I, when, when, when? Let's go back to this, the uh, the the um, the treasures of the second temple that you're about to uncover. When is that going to likely take place? Well, I, I hope you know that. Uh, I, I appreciate you saying that because that adds that lends uh, a certain momentum to to the whole project. But uh, the truth is, right when I get back to Israel next week, 
we're already thinking of starting. Uh, this, this whole project is getting underway. People are already writing uh, as a result of shows like this, and people who are becoming more aware of what I do, and it's on my website as well. Give us, give us the. We're, we're just about out of time, uh, Harry. Give us the website. It's Harry H. Moskov. Dot net. Moskov. M O S K O F F. Yes. Harry H. Moskov. Dot net. Thank you again. Let's keep in yes. touch. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. Pleasure. Bye bye. My thanks to Ian, Albert, Ryan, all of you for listening at home. Back next week with a brand new program. Hope you be aboard for the ride. Do not. Oh, thank you, Albert. Yes, hosting Coast Friday and Saturday coming up. Hope you'll be along for that as well. Always fun to do the program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.